Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. Well, it is good to be with you all tonight. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jim Woods, and I'm, I'm excited to jump right in tonight. And if you have your Bibles on you, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get them out and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to say too, if you're still new to Christian Challenge, maybe you've just been checking this out for a couple of weeks, or you're still figuring this whole thing out, I just want to say I'm so glad that you're here. I think tonight's going to just be a really a great night for you to be here. We're going to be talking about something really important tonight. It has to do with what a community that is centered around Jesus can look like. And so if you're new and still checking this whole Jesus thing out, I think tonight's going to be a really good night for you because it's going to give you kind of a, a behind the scenes look, an inside look at to the goal and purpose of a Jesus centered community. We've got a real light load uh, for the sermon tonight, real easy. Uh, just three chapters of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Three loaded, strange chapters. It's going to be a piece of cake. So uh, now obviously we won't go through this verse by verse and uh, really in a detailed way. I'm going to kind of look at things kind of a section at a time and hopefully we can make some helpful observations. But it's going to be really fun. So the verses will be up on the screen as well, but if you've got your Bibles open, get your notebooks ready, buckle up, because here we go. So a quick refresher on where we're at in this book. Uh, The revolutionary missionary and church leader, Paul, was writing this letter of 1 Corinthians to a church in the city of Corinth, and this church was a very dysfunctional Church. They had a lot of issues, and it's honestly, it's honestly amazing that Paul's letter wasn't just as simple as close the doors, shut her down, let's close up shop and be done, and disbanded the church. I mean, that's just a miracle in and of itself, based on what they were going through. And and the chapters of the letter that we find ourselves in tonight are in a section that addresses instructions for worship and community gatherings of Christians. We've been looking at this kind of a chunk at a time, and there's different themes throughout this book, but this section is about worship and community gatherings for believers. And the Corinthians had asked Paul a number of questions about gathering together as Christians and what the community should look like. And one of those questions had to do with something called spiritual gifts. Now, okay, spiritual gifts. What, what is a spiritual gift? Well, based on a number of different passages in the Bible, we can kind of tell what a spiritual gift is. It's a skill or an ability or a talent that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence in a believer. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit that builds up God's people. And some of these gifts are are very ordinary, very simple, they make a lot of sense, and some of them are very miraculous and surprising. But all of them, all of the gifts, they have the same purpose, building up God's people. So the Corinthians were asking a question to Paul about spiritual gifts. And based on Paul's answer, here's the basic idea of what it seems like they might have been asking. They might have been saying, Paul, which spiritual gifts mean that a person is more spiritually mature or is more filled with God's spirit? They seem to be trying to figure out who among them was the most spiritually mature. So let's, let's check out Paul's answer in this chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to start. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led... 
Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. All right, so, so listen closely here, because this is so countercultural to how our world works. Paul is basically saying, if you want to know who has the Holy Spirit in them, then spiritual gifts are honestly not the best indicator of that. The person who has the Holy Spirit in them is the person who can honestly confess Jesus is Lord. Now, what does that have to do with spiritual maturity? Well, think about this. At the time that Paul is writing this, it's the first century AD, and the only person that you were supposed to call Lord in the first century was the Roman Caesar. And to call Jesus Lord, to say Jesus is Lord, is treason, and it would cost you in your life. Paul isn't just simply talking about saying the literal words, Jesus is Lord. He's talking about living a life that confesses the lordship of Jesus in every area of your life. He's talking about a life surrendered to him, even if it costs you. And another way to say this would be, if you want to know if someone is spiritually mature or not, don't look at how gifted they are. Examine their life and see how much of it is actually lived in surrender to Jesus and his authority over them. Gifting is not an indicator of spiritual maturity. Surrender to Jesus indicates our spiritual maturity. And that's something we all grow in. We all grow in how submitted we are to Jesus. And so Paul is saying that that's how we can tell someone is filled with the Spirit or is growing in maturity spiritually. And so often in our world, we, we get this totally backwards. We tend to celebrate and honor people based on their talents and their gifting and have no idea what their commitments or their character is like. I mean, just take T-Swift, for example. Some would say, I mean, she, she's gifted, she's talented, she's looked up to and idolized by middle school, I mean, uh, by college students everywhere. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, she's, she's great. In fact, here's, a, here's another picture. This is a picture a friend of mine took uh, when he went to go see her Eras Tour concert at the Broncos Stadium from the parking lot. And, and I mean, there's, this is hilarious, I think. These people are packed in the parking lot. They're tailor-gating, is what I'm told that this is called. And, and, and they're listening, and, and I mean, look at the girl in that picture. She's got her arms raised. It's just like she's worshiping to shake it off. I mean, it's like, what is going on here? We're like looking up to and idolizing a person. Now, honestly, do, do any of us really know anything? about her other than her dating life? I mean, like, really? We know anything about her character, her commitments, anything she's devoted to. We just know she's, she's gifted, and so we celebrate that, we idolize that. I mean, we hear, we hear all the time about pastors and church leaders who are extremely gifted, but there was something missing in their surrender to Jesus. Instead of living lives of honesty and vulnerability, being transparent about their sin struggles and submitting those areas of their life to Jesus. They relied on their gifting. And then it came back to bite them. They're caught in some scandal, some, some issue comes up, word gets out, and it's game over. Relying on your gifting, it's, it just doesn't pan out in the long haul. It's not about what gifts a person has when it comes to how mature they are. Growing in surrender to Jesus is what matters. So are spiritual gifts, are they, are they just meaningless? Are they just are they useless? Paul would say not at all. So, so let's keep moving. Let's see what the actual purpose of them is. The next few verses say this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, 
And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, so Paul lists out several gifts, a sampling of different spiritual gifts. And some of these sound, let's be honest, they sound a little odd, a little crazy, right? What's, what are these even about? We'll unpack some of those here shortly. But, but notice first how Paul emphasizes how it is the same God, the same Lord, the same Holy Spirit who distributes these gifts to different individuals. He repeats this over and over again in this passage. By the same Spirit, from the same Spirit, by the one same Spirit. What's important to note here is both the source of the gifts and the purpose of the gifts. So first, the source of spiritual gifts. These gifts come from God's Spirit. They aren't generated from ourselves as if we should take pride in them. The many gifts come from one spirit. It's not like I have a more powerful spirit in me than you do. That's empowering my gifts versus your gifts. It's the same spirit who empowers all of the gifts and all of those who confess Jesus as Lord. They come from the Spirit, not ourselves. They aren't meant for us to take pride in and say, look at me, look how awesome I am because I have great wisdom or I can play worship songs. No offense, Sean. Uh, <laughs> similarly, we shouldn't think less of ourselves. We shouldn't take pride in them, but we also shouldn't think less of ourselves because we think that our gifts aren't as good or as flashy as someone else's. That's not the point of gifts. They're... They aren't there to make us look good or to feel less about ourselves. Paul tells us, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the purpose of the gifts. Paul repeats this numerous times throughout these next few chapters. Anytime he's talking about spiritual gifts, he just keeps saying how these gifts are meant for the building up of others in God's church community. Now, to make this abundantly clear, Paul uses this amazing metaphor. He describes the community of God's people, those who are following Jesus, as the body of Christ. This is what he goes into in the next section. We're going to just summarize it right now. Paul, Paul says that in the same way that the human body has many members or body parts that seamlessly work together without even a thought, the same should be true of God's people. I mean, just think about your own body for a moment and, and how fluid and natural it is for all of your body parts to work together the way they do to accomplish the things it does. Your heart, your brain, your legs, your, your lungs, your nervous system, every part of you working together. Your heart's beating right now. You're breathing in air. You're not even thinking about how seamlessly your body is functioning together. Think about how dependent you are on each part of your body. Every part is essential. And Paul talks about how if one part of your body suffers, the whole body suffers with it. This is so true. I, I have young kids, and they wake me up in the middle of the night for various reasons. And if I go into their room and I step on a Lego, let me tell you, my whole body is suffering in that moment. I can feel it everywhere, right? It's not just my foot, right? But similarly, if, if one part of our body rejoices, the whole body rejoices with us or with the body. Because I, I, mean, I, I remember the last cold I had. And I remember when I was getting over it and I woke up one morning and I could finally like breathe again. <laughs> Some of you were like, 
dying for that right now. You're like, I just want to breathe, you know. But when I could finally breathe again, it was like my whole body was just like, yes, thank you. I can rejoice. Finally, the same should be true with God's church community. He unpacks this metaphor some more. He says, he's thinking, how, how ridiculous would it be if your foot were to say to your hand, too bad you're not a hand. Like, oh man, I, I, you know, I wish I wish you could be a lot more like me. I wish wish you could kind of be what I am and do what I can do because I'm really awesome. Or think about the inverse. Think about if, if it were to say that, say, oh man, I just I, I'm not as good as that other body part. I'm not as not as good as an eye. I'm not as good as an ear. Dang it, I, I'm just not really a part of the body. Like that doesn't even make sense. Like that it doesn't even compute. Like every part of our body is crucial. Every part of our body has a function and a purpose to it. It contributes something unique. In fact, certain parts of your body that we could consider maybe weaker or, or less presentable, we give special honor to them. We protect them. We treat them uniquely with modesty or something like that. It's, it, we, we cherish each part of the body. Now, I, want, I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about your own life and your own the gifts you've been given your own participation in your life group or in, in church think is this how you see yourself do you see yourself as a crucial member of the body of Christ a part that's important that adds something that only you can add when you show up to church on Sunday or life group or challenge on Thursday, are you showing up thinking, man, I hope, hope the message is good. I hope the band plays that song that I really like. I hope that my life group leaders got out the good snacks this week. I hope I, I, hope I get something out of it. You know, I'm feeling, feeling a little dry. I kind of need something to boost me up. You know, are you going in thinking, I am here to invest and pour in to the other people that are in this room. God has a mission, has a purpose for me in this community. I am bringing something to the table that only I can bring. The gifts that God's given to me are essential for this community. God has specific ways that I need to build this group up. And I need to seek those out. Is that how you think? Listen to me. In the body of Christ, none of us have been called to be spectators. All of us have been invited and called to be active participants in this community. We are called to regularly find ways to use our spiritual gifts. Not for our own sake, but to serve and build up others. What, what, are, what are your gifts? How has God equipped you? What, what are the gifts he's given to you? Can, can you see them? Can you name them? Do other people see them? Perhaps you feel insecure about how God has gifted you, but, but just dream with me here for a second. What if you experienced an unleashed confidence in the gifts that God has given to you? What if you could name them and move towards them and use them to build up those around you in unique ways? What if, what if you asked some of your closest friends, hey, can you help me understand how God's gifted me? They'll probably have a better read on it than you even do. What if you invited them into that process and you could identify some of those gifts? Imagine if we all sought to love others like that when we gathered together as a community. Not to consume, not to spectate, but, but to participate, to pour into, to love, and to use the gifts that God has given to us. Can, can you picture that? Can you imagine it? It's like a taste of heaven to think of a community like that. And envisioning this community of love is exactly where Paul goes next. He says that if we don't have this outward-focused, other-oriented love for each other, then our gifts, they are useless. They're meaningless. 
The whole goal of our gifts is to bless and love one another. This, this part of the passage, we're, we're getting into chapter 13 now. This is, this is where we find the famous love passage of the Bible. And this gets used all the time in weddings. And that's, that's great, but think of its kind of original context and this understanding of how churches should gather together and the mindset that we should have and how we should use our gifts. That's the original context of this, that our spiritual gifts... Their purpose is for love and for building others up. They are gifts and tools for love, not tools for self-actualization or making yourself look good or feel spectacular. Paul says, no, it's, it's not about any of that. He writes, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And what, what if you could identify the gifts he's given to you? You could humbly step forward in love towards others with those gifts. What if you could cultivate that? What if you began to, to pray that God would help you use your gifts on a regular basis to bless and build up others? What if when you showed up to Life Group or church and you had that mindset on? I mean, mostly in church, 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. But what if it wasn't like that? What if it was a community effort? What if we all came together with that? Mindset on. Like we said before, no spectators in the body of Christ. We are all called to use the gifts God's given us to love and build each other up. Okay. How y'all doing? Tracking with me? It's making sense? It's clicking? Okay. Well, stay strapped in because Paul does not take his foot off the gas here. So, up to this point, the big idea has been that we need to surrender fully to Jesus and then use our gifts to build others up. But then Paul throws this out there. He says, pursue love for the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. What? <laughs> what, what is that perceiving? mean and earnestly desire spiritual gifts? The gift of prophecy? I mean, okay, up until now, it's just kind of seemed like, okay, all we have to do, we've got to put on a mindset of love, we've got to surrender to Jesus, we need to identify the, the gifts that God's given us, cultivate them, and use them. But here, Paul seems to think that we can actually desire spiritual gifts that we do not currently have. He doesn't just think that we can do this. He actually commands that we should do it. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Even a gift like prophecy. What would, what, what would it look like to earnestly desire and ask for spiritual gifts? I mean, have you, have you ever done that before? Have you, have you ever asked God to give you a spiritual gift that you don't have so that you can build up the body of Christ? This, this is the idea here. Listen up, because this is huge. This is kind of mind-shifting in so many ways. We are not, as, as followers of Jesus, we are not just given one or two spiritual gifts for life at the time that we're born or, or when we come to faith in Christ. We're not just given one or two, and that's it. We've got to cultivate those, and that's, that's all there is to it. Otherwise, if that was the case, Paul wouldn't have commanded that we should earnestly, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. The Spirit gives these gifts out, and he can even give them out at different points in our life. The, the scriptures, I mean, just think about this. The scriptures urge us to earnestly desire and ask for spiritual gifts in order to bless and love others. 
Now, earlier we read off a list of spiritual gifts, a sampling of different gifts in the body of Christ. And some of them seemed fine and, and normal. Uh, you know, wisdom, knowledge, faith. But, but a few of them, well, let's be honest, some of them seem a bit out of the ordinary. Gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, I mean, what, what even are these? <laughs> are, are we actually supposed to earnestly desire these gifts? As in, are we supposed to come before God in prayer and ask Him to give us the gift of healing or prophecy or tongues? I mean, what if, what if those gifts make us a little uncomfortable? I mean, what if that's a bit outside of our norm? Do these gifts, let's be honest, do these gifts even happen today? These, these are really important questions, and they deserve our attention tonight. So for starters, we need to acknowledge that there is a range of views on this. Not all Christians agree on how these gifts should be understood. On the one side, you've got those in the body of Christ who see that the miraculous gifts, the ones that we were just talking about, that they have ceased, that they've stopped, they've come to an end. And, and this idea comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, which, which says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And this, this first group would say that, that that phrase, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. They would say that that refers to something like the completion of the writings of the Bible. Or to a time after the first apostles all died. And the church kind of got a bit of structure to it. So that's, that's what they would say. That's how they would understand that. But the other end of the spectrum would say, no, these, these gifts have not ceased. They've, they've actually continued. And they're available for us today. And they would say that this verse doesn't refer to the Bible being formed or the apostles dying, but it, it refers to when Christ comes, when he returns. And I want to just say right now that, that both of these views are legitimate views. Both positions come from Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians. I mean, I, I didn't like take a poll or anything, but I would imagine even on the Christian Challenge staff that we would kind of land in different places along this spectrum. And that's great. I mean, that's fine. I mean, we still worship the same God. We, we are still pursuing His mission together. It's, it's, it's so good to be on a team with people who think differently than you. And, I, and I'll just be honest with you. Personally, where I land, I kind of land on the side that says that the miraculous gifts have continued into today. After giving this quite a bit of study and looking at this, I think that that view makes a lot of sense. I, I could absolutely be wrong. But that, that's where I'm at. So, so what are these miraculous gifts? Well, the Bible has a lot to say to, to that question. It has a lot to, to offer. Um, we are going to have time to cover everything. But tonight we're simply going to address two specific, confusing, and unique spiritual gifts that Paul gives a lot of attention to in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to look at the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. So let's start with tongues. This, this chapter has a ton to say about speaking in tongues. And something to keep in mind right away is that this letter, when it was being written, it was written to address a very specific situation where these gifts were being used in completely inappropriate ways. And so Paul offers a lot of correction for how to use 
both tongues and prophecy, specifically tongues. And so that's, that's helpful to keep in mind. And, and honestly, given the situation that was going on in Corinth and some of the abuses and misuse of the gift of tongues, it's honestly just surprising that Paul didn't just tell the Corinthians to just stop it, to just stop using the gift of tongues because they're not using it right, it's, it's weird, they're, they're getting off track. It's, it's surprising that he doesn't just say that. In fact, in chapter 14, verse 5, he actually says that he wants them to use the gift of tongues. He's, he's excited about that. He encourages them into it. He wants them to use this gift. So, so what is it? Well, in chapter 13, Paul makes... Uh, a very quick remark about two different kinds of tongues. He says, there are tongues of men and tongues of angels. And tongues of men are fairly straightforward. Uh, they're, they're different human languages. Pretty straightforward, pretty clear. In, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we see a moment when this gift seems to be given and used. Uh, the disciples, the apostles, Jesus' uh, leaders of the church were gathered together and, and God's spirit was poured out on them and they all began to speak in languages that they did not yet know. They hadn't learned them. And they were actually in this moment, there, it was a holiday, and so they were surrounded by a bunch of people from other cultures and countries who spoke these different languages. And the, the apostles were given these gifts of languages, this gift of tongues to be able to communicate the good news of Jesus to people in their native language. It was a really amazing moment. And, and we actually, we hear about this gift being given to, to missionaries. Even today, we hear about this kind of stuff happening, where a missionary will go into a, a missions context where they won't speak the language of the people, or they'll only speak a very little bit, and they get in there, and suddenly they're able to speak this language so much more fluently than they ever thought they could. Or they'll start trying to learn the language of the people, and they're just learning it at a really rapid rate. That just is like kind of mind-blowing. Like, how is this happening? So, so that gift, okay, speaking in other human languages, that makes sense. But what, are, what on earth are the tongues of angels? What is that? Well, here, here's kind of my definition of it. And this, this kind of pulls together a number of different verses from chapter 14 um, to kind of build this definition. The gift of tongues is spirit-inspired, unintelligible speech that somehow builds up a person, builds a person up when they use it to pray. Unintelligible speech that builds up a person when they use it to pray. So chapter 14, verse 2 says, for, the one, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. It may, it may sound strange, but the gift of tongues would sound like speaking in gibberish to anyone who heard it. And even it would sound like gibberish to the person speaking in tongues, actually. But Paul says that this speech is anything but useless or, or meaningless. In verse 4, he says that the one who speaks in a tongue, builds up himself. And later in verse 14, he says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, or I will pray in tongues, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Okay, so, so speaking in tongues is a kind of spirit-inspired speech that a person can pray with. It's, a, it's an unintelligible prayer language that a person can pray in that builds up their spirit, even though their mind 
doesn't understand what is being said. Now, however, there's another gift called the interpretation of tongues. And Paul talks about this gift a little bit where he says that the Holy Spirit can give the person speaking in tongues or even someone else who hears them speaking in tongues the ability to interpret or understand what is being said. In verse 18, Paul, Paul even says that he spoke in tongues and that he did it a lot. He says that he spoke in tongues more than any of the Corinthians did. It's crazy. But he clarifies strongly that since speaking in tongues is naturally unintelligible, that it's not really a gift to be used in a church gathering because nobody's going to understand what it means. It's going to sound like gibberish. It's, it's not really a gift that's meant to be used in a church gathering unless someone interprets it so other people can understand what's being said. This, this, that probably even points to how the Corinthians were misusing this gift, that they were abusing it maybe by, by speaking in tongues in church gatherings and not offering any kind of interpretation to it. And it was just like chaotic and like, what is going on? And this is, doesn't make any sense. And, but, but Paul seems to have a really high view of this gift in this passage. I mean, he prays in tongues often. He encourages the, the Corinthians. Like, yeah, it's good. It builds up a person's spirit. It's just not meant for kind of a corporate gathering setting unless someone interprets it. This, this gift can absolutely be abused and misused today. Uh, uh, there's, there's Christians out there that, that would kind of view it as kind of a benchmark for spiritual maturity in some way, but that, I mean, we already saw in this text that gifts of the Spirit are not a good judge of if a person is spiritually mature or not. And I would, I would imagine, I mean, just room this size, people from different backgrounds, and a number of you have had experience with this gift or have been around people who have used this gift. And some of those experiences might have been good ones and others might have been very awkward ones. I don't know. I'll, I'll go ahead and put my cards on the table. Speaking in tongues is actually a gift that I have personally experienced and I've used for many years now in my life with God and in prayer. After, after I learned about it a number of years ago, I remember being alone in my room one night and asking for God to give me the gift of speaking in tongues. And then I began to pray in tongues. And it has been a rich blessing in my life with God. I, I, I pray in tongues often. It, it is a way to pray when you don't know what else to say or, or a way to pray when just when English doesn't just doesn't cut it and, and it I felt so encouraged and built up internally although I'll be honest I can't quite fully understand how that works but I, I, I've seen the effect of it in my life it's, it's built me up. It's moved my heart from, from grief to joy. It's, grew, it's moved me from, from being stuck to full of passion. It's, it's, it's moved my heart in, in kind of mysterious ways. I can't quite understand it, but it's been a gift in my life. I'm so thankful for it. And none of the spiritual gifts are, are meant to be wild and out of control and chaotic. At some level, each of the gifts are able to be used at the discretion of the user. I mean, it's just like any other gift, like service or wisdom. You know, I, I, in some ways, I think of it like, you know, the gift of being able to play a musical instrument. Like, if you were to just drill me right now and say, Jim, do it. If you have the gift of, being, of playing a musical instrument, do it right now. I'd be like, well, it's kind of awkward. I don't, I'm not even holding an instrument. Like, what do you mean? I can't really show it to you, right? That would be weird, you know? In similar ways, it's like, you can use it, but there, there's certain situations that it's appropriate to use it, right? So that's, that's tongues. It's, it's a bit mysterious. It's strange. But there it is. It's in the Bible. <laughs> we got to deal with that. <laughs> now, the other gift that's strange and unique that Paul gives a lot of attention to is the gift of prophecy. 
And chapter 14 is, is kind of a comparison between tongues and prophecy. So Paul is super clear that in terms of priority, prophecy takes the cake. Prophecy is so much more beneficial for a church gathering, for the body of Christ, because other people understand what it is. <laughs> It, it, it comes out in a native tongue. Paul strongly encourages the believers to seek out and ask for and desire the gift of prophecy, much more even than tongues, because of how beneficial it can be for a community of Jesus' followers. Okay, so, so what is prophecy? Well, here's, here's my definition. Again, this is kind of taken from a number of different verses in this passage. Prophecy is a spirit-inspired spoken message to a person. The message will build a person up, encourage them, offer comfort, teach them, reveal unknown mysteries about that person, convict or disclose the secrets of their heart. These, these messages must be, be weighed or judged by the community of believers. There's a, a lot there, so let's, let's take a moment to unpack it. So just like all the gifts of the Spirit, the source is the inspiration of the, the source is the inspiration, and the inspiration is God's Spirit. And a lot of times when people think prophecy, we think of like telling the future or something like that. And, and it's true that that can be a component of prophecy, but it's certainly not restricted to that. It's a spirit-inspired message, a spoken message that in some way benefits the person hearing it. It encourages or offers comfort or reveals truth about God that they can learn about at a heart level. It may offer guidance or reveal some mystery in a person's heart or life. It may produce holy conviction. The, the aim of prophecy is that it drives someone towards a deeper relationship with Jesus. It builds them up. It never tears them down. It's never manipulative or shaming or controlling. And this, this can be super mundane or it can be life-altering. Often, it can be as simple as spending some time in prayer and then God brings somebody to mind. And then he brings a verse of scripture to mind. And, and you reach out to that person, you give them a call, you share that with them, you share the verse, and, and, th and it just strikes them and encourages them in a really significant way, or even a mundane way. I've, I've seen this gift used, I've, I've personally experienced it, and, and it's been really amazing. Um, I remember this was years and years ago, um, I was talking with uh, a speaker. I went to one of Challenge's retreats, and the speaker there, I was able to kind of get some one-on-one -on -one time with him. And honestly, I'll be, I'll be completely honest with you guys. I, I wanted to get some one-on-one -on -one time with him to talk with him to just kind of like build up my resume a little bit. Like, hey, I got some time with the speaker. You know? That was kind of cool, you know? And I got to talk with him, and I was just asking him some questions about his message, and he entertained him for a few moments. And then, and then he kind of started saying, can I, can I share some things with you? Um, sure. And he, he just started making observations about my life. I had known this man for like 15 minutes. He started making observations about my life and, and kind of just saying, like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet that this is going on in your life right now. That you're, you're dealing with some sin behind closed doors. It was really bold. But, oh my goodness, it, that conversation changed my life. He did it very humbly and said, you know, I could be wrong here. I don't know. But I'm just getting a sense. While well, I'm sitting here talking with you, that this is what's going on. And guys, it changed the trajectory of my life. There's another time. Uh, this was recently. I was praying for somebody uh, in this ministry. I didn't, I didn't know him super well yet. Um, but I was praying for them. And then... God, I just kind of saw a picture in my mind of this person. They were, they were walking, and, and they had, like, concrete blocks on their feet. They were just struggling to walk. And then, and then I just heard God's voice. He spoke these words from Psalm 46. Cease your striving. And as God spoke that, the blocks just broke open. It's kind of cool, kind of powerful. I had no idea what that meant for this person. 
<laughs> and so, but later I was with them, and I, I shared this with them. I said, you know, I, I have no idea. I was praying for you. This came to mind. I could have made this up. I have no idea. But here it is. I explained it to them, and it totally clicked. stuff going on in their life that I, I had no clue about. It's really meaningful. That's, that's kind of how this gift can, can be used. And it can be so beneficial. I, I know many stories just like the ones that I'm sharing here. Now, some clarifications needed. This, this is really important. When we're talking about prophecy, we're not talking about new authoritative revelation from God. We're not talking about stuff that is equal to the Bible. There, there are church groups that are out there that would maybe think that way, but that is, that is just not the idea that we get when we read the New Testament about prophecy. It needs, when, when the New Testament talks about this gift, when Paul writes about it, he, he talks about how it needs to be weighed and evaluated in community. It must be tested against the scriptures and will never contradict what's already written in God's word. It must point someone towards a deeper relationship with Jesus. And this also means that when we bring a, a gift of, or a word of prophecy to a person, it's, it's got to be done in humility, not dogmatic and authoritative. I mean, let's be honest, God speaks, but sometimes we don't hear so well, right? So, so we always kind of add that caveat in. There's, hey, I, this might be an encouragement from God, or it totally could not be. So please pray about it and weigh it in community. Hopefully, hopefully all that makes sense. So, so to wrap up about tongues and prophecy, should we be asking for spiritual gifts? And, and what about specifically the gift of tongues and, and prophecy, gifts that are a bit strange to some of us? Paul would say yes, especially prophecy. Tongues are good, but prophecy is even better. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 to 40, he says, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid decently and in order. This means that gifts have a lot of benefit. Spiritual gifts have benefit, and desiring them and asking for them can be so good. But these gifts should never be done in a wild and out of control, chaotic kind of way. They should never be distracting or, or pointing somebody away from Jesus and towards the person using a gift. And not everyone will receive every gift, and that's why we need each other. Remember, that body of Christ image. But making ourselves open to receiving God's gifts is so crucial because God wants to build up his people In my marriage, man, I, I love my wife. I love her. And, and, and that means that on a regular basis, I, I want to use any gift I have at my disposal to express my love for her. I, I know God has given me with communication and, and words of encouragement. So that's, that's a gift I lean into. I love writing her just notes and leaving them there for her to be encouraged by. I love trying to pray for her and write what I'm praying for her down and, and leave that for her somewhere or something of that nature. I love getting to use those gifts to express that love for her. But loving her also means that I'm, I'm going to try to get creative and step outside of my box a bit. I'm going to try to develop things that maybe I'm not so good at. To, to love and bless her. Things like serving or gift giving that, that don't just come quite as naturally to me. I'm still going to try them out and try to pursue those things and, and get better at them. The same should be true for how we view other believers. We should be seeking gifts that we have and gifts that we don't yet have and asking, God, would you help me be a blessing to others in the body of Christ? Dan, you can go ahead and start coming up here. I, I want to offer just a few ideas for how to step towards some of this. Um, first, for those of you that are still new to challenge, maybe you're still checking this whole Jesus thing out, I want to just say this. Our, our, world, our world just views gifts. They are addicted to using gifts for building themselves up. They're addicted to comparing and evaluating each other based on 
giftedness. But, but what if you were in a community? What if you could invest in a community that sought to use the gifts that they had to bless and pour into each other? What if you were in a Christ-centered community who looked to Jesus, the one who always used his gifts and his talents to bless and serve others, the one who used his whole life as a sacrifice and laid himself down so that you could experience the satisfaction of life with God? What if you could taste that? I want to I urge you, if that is enticing to you at all, I want to encourage you to just say to God, God, I want to be in, I want to be all in on this. I want to give you my life and follow the one who gave everything for me so I can be satisfied in this life and secure and not just trying to find identity in my giftedness, but I can be secure in him and use my gifts to love those around me. For, for those of us who, who are walking with Jesus, I want to offer three thoughts real fast. First, repent of seeking the praise of people with your gifts and thinking lowly of yourself or others based on gifting. We've been saying it all semester. It's not about you. The freedom in the shadow of the cross is a secure identity in him and the freedom to be able to use your gifts to bless others. Next, enter gatherings of the body of Christ as a participant, not as a spectator. Be eager for God to use you and love others and find ways to use your gifts to bless those around you. And lastly, and maybe this will push some of you, but eagerly desire and ask for spiritual gifts, even gifts that might make you uncomfortable. Because God wants his body to be built up. The aim here is not adding a new superpower to your list or something like that, or make yourself more awesome. The reason we seek the gifts is so we can bless others. What would happen to our community or to your church or to the body of Christ as a whole if we sought gifts from God to bless and serve others like this? I encourage you, say yes and make yourself available to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love your people and that you want to encourage and build them up. Thank you that you desire to gift us in ways that will spur us on towards following you. I pray tonight, God, that you would give us gifts that would build one another up, not to, just for the purpose of making us uncomfortable or not just for the purpose of, of, of making ourselves look cool, but because we want to love people because we want to bless others. And God, guard our hearts from pride. Guard our hearts and keep us in humility and not thinking lowly of ourselves, but just making ourselves available to you. We welcome you, God, to, to move in our lives and gift us how you see fit. It's in your name I pray.